The gospel is of first importance, Paul tells us, and because this truth, this message, this message will always be under attack. Because everything I just said to you is true. This message will be under attack. A church is always going to be tempted to lose its focus on the gospel and run after something else. Good things even. But that's going to be a temptation. And that is why this was true in the early church. It's true now. This is why we must strive to keep the gospel at the center of all that we are and all that we do. If not, by the way, the implications are severe and lasting. So with that in mind, open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 through 9. And that will be the text that we'll be working from today. Uh, follow along with me as I read Galatians 1, 6 through 9. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you into the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who would trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So if the gospel is central and of first importance, it is no surprise to hear Paul's tone to the church, to the churches in Galatia, right? It's no surprise. I mean, right, Paul is not pulling any punches here when he, he's going right for the jugular with these people. Imagine being the guy or the gal that gets up to stand and read this letter in front of the church. Because I guarantee you, that's what they did then. This letter would go out, someone would stand up, and they would read it. Whew. Man, these words cut. He's using some strong language here that would arrest some serious attention. He's not a real feel-good preacher in this moment, is he? No, he's saying, I'm astonished. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting. Notice the word in verse 6. It says, him. See, when you, just, when you abandon the gospel, you're not abandoning some kind of message. Yeah, you are, but essentially you're abandoning God. That's why Paul is so serious in this moment, deserting him, not it. Paul's tone is one of great concern because if indeed the Galatians are turning their backs on God in exchange for a different gospel, they are going after a gospel that does not exist. Notice it in verse 7. Not that there is another one. You're going after this other good news? There is no other good news. You can go after it. It doesn't exist. It's kind of like Bigfoot. You can go after Bigfoot all day. No one's caught him yet. Well, that's what it's like to go after a different gospel. See, this is the reason for the severity of Paul's tone. It would be the same tone that hopefully a parent or a close friend would use if you saw someone that you loved who has gone seriously astray and about to land themselves in harm's way, right? It, it would never be appropriate for me to grab my daughter by the arm and yank her so hard that I rip it out of socket, now would it? And I bet you all would be like, no way, no way, that's not good. Unless, unless we just left Harvest Community Church, Indiana, and she was about to get creamed by a car coming down Philadelphia Street. And if I grabbed her by the arm and I yanked her so hard that it ripped it out of socket, but she did not die, not only would you say that's appropriate, do it. Do it. Why? Because I care so much about this little girl, right? 
This is the same thing that's going on with Paul in his tone towards the church that he loves. When we see what is stake here, we understand the tone. We understand the severity of the text. Paul is greatly troubled because as it says in verse 7, there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. See, the, the gospel of God's grace is such a glorious thing that, listen, if you add to it or you take anything away, in the end you will distort it and you will lose it. What do I mean by add to it? If you say, Jesus plus you must do these things, that's adding to it. Well, what's subtracting look like? How about, let's take sin out of there. Let's take repentance out of there. Let's, God's just a big old fluffy love bug who just, just draw near him. Both of those are distortions. And if you do that, you don't even understand the gospel and, and you've abandoned it and you've abandoned him. That's exactly what he's saying. This is what was happening in the churches of Galatia. The churches of Galatia were a combination of, listen, both Jewish and Gentile converts. So this is a little background so you guys can have an understanding. Paul's purpose in writing to these churches was to speak clarity to the fact that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's, that's why he had a special emphasis on justification by faith alone apart from the works of law. That word justification, listen, that's the whole theme of the book. Listen, what that means is it's a legal act of declaring us forgiven of our sins and having Christ's righteousness in our account. So that when God looks upon us who have by his grace repented and trusted and believed in Jesus Christ, he is delighted in us. Why? Because we're lovable? No, because the blood of Christ covers all our sins. Oh, it's of utmost importance we get this. This essential truth of justification by faith rather than by human work was being denied by the people that were called Judaizers, which were just people who were distorting the gospel. So when you see that word that says distorting the gospel, the Judaizers were distorting the gospel. They were legalistic Jews who insisted that, listen, if you wanted to be a Christian, you must keep the Mosaic law, you must get circumcised, you must do the dietary laws, and trust in Jesus. And Paul was saying, no. This is what they were pushing. They were pushing that circumcision was a requirement for the Christian. In other words, to convert to Judaism and first, and then, and only then, are you eligible to be a Christian. That's what they taught. When Paul learned that this crap was being spread throughout the church and being peddled to the churches in Galatia, he wrote this letter. To emphasize what? To emphasize that freedom in Christ is by faith alone. It's by trusting in Jesus alone, the work that he did in his life, death, and resurrection. That he wanted to expose the distortions that were happening to the gospel that, the, that these false teachers were promoting within the church and that it was going about. This attack on the message was an attack on the people of God, but it would not surprise Paul in the slightest, which is why Paul gave a strong warning to the Ephesian elders in the book of Acts 20, 28 through 30. Listen as I read, and you can follow along, and hopefully you have your Bibles open. But Paul, as he was departing the church in Ephesus, he said, pay careful attention to yourselves. He's talking, by the way, he's talking to the elders in the church of Ephesus. 
Okay? He said, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and away from among yourselves, listen, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. As soon as he finishes that, by the way, he say, be alert. Listen, therefore, be alert. This is exactly what's happening in the church of Galatia and unfortunately happens in some churches today. We abandon the gospel. We abandon the gospel. Notice in verse 30 in that cha- in Acts, it says, from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Now, this was written to the Ephesian elders, yes, but it was no less true for the elders of the church of Galatia. It's no less true for us today. Be alert. Now, back to Galatians. Look again with me at the second half of verse 7. But there are some who, what, trouble you and want to, what, distort the gospel of Christ. So we see here that the false teachers were troubling the church by distorting the gospel. Make no mistake, the two go hand in hand. You distort the message of the gospel, you will distort the people of the message. We're birthed from the gospel, we're sustained by the gospel, and if you mess with it, you will end up hurting the church. You cannot distort the gospel and leave the church unaffected because it is birthed from this message. Make no mistake about it, church. Our greatest danger then and now are not those outside the church in the world, but those inside the church who would try to distort and change the message. The the world's always going to oppose the church. Can we just get past the fact you're never going to be cool in the world's eyes, and if you are, you probably want to get a check up from the neck up. I'm just serious. Like, if no one's got saved because you went and had a beer at the bar with them. Oh, wow, Jesus, he's amazing. Nobody's ever got saved because we tried to be cool and fit in, ever. And that's, that's true then, it's true now. The world will always oppose, ridicule, and persecute the church. Let it never surprise us. Just let it never surprise us. Ultimately, They will only be used to advance the gospel to the glory of God. These things are a danger, yes, but they're not even close to the danger that comes from within. So church, be alert. Our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour someone. Christians, you must realize, we must realize that we are in a war. We must be alert. We remember the battle, though, is not against flesh and blood. You have no human enemies. None. Right? We know that. But we do battle against what? Against flesh and blood? No. But against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of the enemy in heavenly places. And this is why, church, we must stand firm in our faith and be aware of this battle. And in doing so, we can be alert to the distortions of the gospel that the enemy hopes to bring and spread within the church. When these distortions of the gospel make their way into the church, they wreak serious havoc, by the way. They upset the household of faith, they confuse, and they cause us to lose confidence in the gospel. And they have great consequences to God's people, which is why Paul makes a seriously strong statement in verses 8. And nine. Look with me in Galatians 1, 8, and 9. He says, but even if we, 
or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you? Let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. What, what is Paul saying here? Get what he's saying here, by the way. He's saying, listen, if I come back, if I come back and I change what I just told you right now, do not believe me. Do not listen to me. That's not extreme enough? All right, well, how about this? How about an angel comes down from heaven and preaches a different gospel than the one that I originally preached? That angelic being, glowing, maybe rolling out like some beautiful scroll, don't believe him. Instead, let him be accursed. Accursed. You know that word accursed literally means to be cut off from Christ? That means to be doomed to eternal punishment. By the way, we see that same language in 2 Thessalonians 1, 8 and 9. When Paul says this, he says, Those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer punishment of eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Paul's not using flowery language here. He understands the gravity of what is at stake within this church. He understands that the church's health and their eternity are at stake. This is not a game to him. He is not playing church. He has a very serious tone because a very serious thing is happening here. He really believes that life and death are in the balance. He doesn't say, ah, you know what? No biggie. You believe what you believe. I believe what I believe. It's all going to work out in the end. Yay like our pluralistic culture today. He doesn't say that at all. No, he very plainly says that if you distort the gospel by adding to the gospel, or if you take anything away from the gospel as a teacher, at promoting that within the church, you're accursed. By the way, off to hell with you. I mean, get the gravity of what he is saying here. He is saying that you would be severed from Christ and fall away from grace. Wow. You know, this should cause us all to sit up and, and sit a little straighter, listen a little more carefully and ask, so what is the gospel that is presented in the Bible? Which, by the way, that's a great question. I'm really glad you asked because that's where I want to spend the rest of our time today because I think in 2016, 2017, and whatever year that the Lord gives us until the day he comes or we go to be with him, listen, We should spend our time meditating, thinking, and breathing the gospel. And when you do, you will tell the world. Because you'll be so excited. You can't understand the gospel and not be excited about the gospel. Okay? So, the gospel. First, fill in. Listen, the gospel is the good news about what God has done to save wretched sinners who have rebelled against his rule and reign through the sacrificial death and resurrection of Christ. Listen, simply put, God is our holy and sovereign creator. He is worthy of all of our worship. He is worthy of all of our worship. He truly is the only thing, only person who can truly satisfy a sinner's heart. But we can't draw near to him because we are sinners. All humans are sinners and all sinners apart from God are under God's righteous and eternal and perfect wrath which is really bad news. 
if we don't understand, though, that Jesus, well, number one, let's back up. The penalty for our sin is death. And when we hear death, we think, oh, croak. No, it is that, but it's much more than that. It's being separated from God forever. In a real hell, by the way. But Jesus Christ, who is fully God and fully man, lived a sinless life, died on a cross to bear God's wrath in our place, triumphantly rose from the grave, defeating Satan, sin, and death. This is the glory of the gospel, and that the only way to be rescued from the wrath of God that is to come is to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and the work that he has done in his life, death, and resurrection. And then repent of your sins. Turn to Jesus. Have life in him. And that's the gospel. That's the gospel. Don't miss this. We are justified or declared righteous through faith alone, through trusting in Christ alone. You bring nothing to the table. I bring nothing to the table except my sin and the need for salvation. Listen as I read some text from the book of Galatians. They'll show up here. You can take them, write them down, and, and revisit them this week. Listen, it's the word of God that goes forth and does the work by the power of his spirit. Take some time and meditate on these texts. So Galatians 2.16 says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. How about Galatians 2, 20 and 21, where it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then, then Christ died for no purpose. Or how about Galatians 3, 11? Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Oh, it's all about what Christ has done. That's the glory of the gospel. It's all about Jesus, baby. If you have a gospel that teaches anything other than that, you don't have the gospel, and it's no good news to you at all, I promise you. The fact that we are justified by grace through faith means we have spiritual freedom. We have spiritual freedom. We're not under the bondage of attempting to try to earn the love of God. You can't earn the love of God. It's a gift. You receive the gift. It's a gift, and it's a beautiful gift. Why would we ever want something different? I'll tell you why, because many times we want to take credit for some of the things, and God will not share his glory with anyone. You can't obey the law perfectly. That's why Christ came. The law was to show the perfections of God. It was to show, it was really to be a crushing thing. The law is a good thing. It's not a bad thing, but it was something that we could never obtain too. So law comes, Jesus comes, he obeys it perfectly, and he takes our place upon the cross. Paul soundly condemns anyone who would attack the grace of God and attack and attempt to change the message of the cross. This is why the whole book of Galatians screams that righteousness comes through faith in Christ, not by works of the law. Church, we must stand firm in our freedom 
in our freedom that Jesus has purchased for us and not submit again to a yoke of slavery. That is the Mosaic law. But now, that's, that's where you add to the gospel. But let me be ultra clear here because another distortion of the gospel would be, oh, I'm free. I can do whatever I want. Woo! Freedom is not an excuse to gratify one's flesh or own sin nature either. Rather, our freedom is an opportunity to love one another, Paul says in Galatians 5.13. See, the Christian life is to be lived in the power of the Holy Spirit, not in the flesh. See, the flesh has been crucified with Christ. We just read that. As a consequence, the spirit, the spirit will bear fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control in the life of a believer. And in the end, listen, the issue is not whether a person is circumcised, but whether he is justified. How are you justified? By faith, by trust. In who? Christ and all that he has done. And if so, you're a new creation. You are a new creation. You're not going to be one someday. You're born again now. You are a new creation. Salvation is the work of the Spirit. You must be born again. So external religious rituals such as circumcision, which, by the way, no one's doing that today. No one's like promoting that. Hey, you want to follow Jesus? Go get circumcised. Nobody says that. But they do add to the gospel. They do take away from the gospel. So don't miss that. But none of those things are of value in your salvation. It is the blood of Christ, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. This is the gospel. And, and by the way, this, the beauty of the gospel is it makes much of God, not man. Anytime you hear a gospel presentation where it's talking about, you're just such a lovely group of people, that is not making much of God. It's making much of you. And so don't fall for it because it doesn't bring glory to God. Salvation from beginning to end is God's doing, and it is all a work of grace. This way, he gets all the glory. He gets all the glory. And guess what we get? Him. <laughs> Him. If, if the treasure of your heart isn't, I get God because of what Christ has done on my behalf in my place, You've misunderstood because we were separated from him because of our sin. Jesus is the only mediator who can make a way from a sinful humanity and a perfect and holy righteous God to come together. So we praise God. The beauty is that as we gaze upon the truth of the Bible and the gospel it presents, we start to see, man, we are way worse than we ever dreamt, right? It doesn't mean you become worse. It just means your understanding of the depravity of your heart. Really, you start to see, man, I was way worse than I ever dreamt. But then we see the gospel and Christ upon the cross, and we say, but I am so much more loved than I could have ever dreamt. Ever dreamt. And guess what that fuels? It fuels worship. It fuels love for God. It fuels love for this world in which he came to rescue. So thanks be to God. When we grasp this, our lives will be transformed by the gospel. It will lead us to deny ourselves and to follow a crucified man of sorrows. And then, and only then, with joy in our hearts, will we, by the power of the Holy Spirit, be able to say, anything, anytime, anywhere, I'm ready. Yes, Lord. I promise you. 
It's when the Holy Spirit's at work within your heart. You're yielding to him. You're seeking him through reading the Bible and praying in a community of believers. Stand on your head and spit nickels in the name of Jesus on 7th and Philly, Scott Rising, when it's sub below zero. If that's what you want, yes, Lord. That's the craziest thing I ever heard, but if that's what he wants. Now, i got to really hear from him. So, like, if you come up and say, hey, Pastor Scott, I think I heard the Lord say that you should go do that today. No. Uh, he has to tell me that, and, uh, and, and he's got to be very convincing. But I have a feeling God is ultra convincing, and when he speaks to you, you know. But if he asked me to do that, I pray that by God's grace, I'd be able to say, yes, Lord. Why? Because God is for you. He's not against you. Get that in your minds. Oh, I've been praying all week that God would pound that into your heart. That if you're in Christ, God is for you. That nothing can separate you from his love. And that you wouldn't see him as like this, yeah, he's kind of pleased with me because of what Jesus has done, but really, he doesn't really like me. He, he tolerates me. No. Because of what Christ has done on your behalf, he adores you. So when you understand that, you will draw near to him. But until you understand that, if you ever start to think that, that yeah, in the gospel, Jesus loves me, yes, God loves me, but there's some admixture of wrath and love, you'll never draw near to him except when you blow it. And even then you might not. You might just run. But if you understand that nothing can separate you from the love of God because of what Christ has done, oh, you'll spend your life getting to know him. Why? So he can love you more? No. Because he loves you infinitely. And who doesn't want to know that God? And if you don't want to know that God, can I say you don't know that God? You're judging me? I'm not judging you. But if you don't want to know him, you don't know him. So ask him, show me, show me this grace. Show me this love. Help me to see you. And as we do, as we see him for who he truly is, in the word of God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, we will gladly pick up our cross, which is an instrument of death, and follow Jesus by the grace of God that God gives through the power of his Holy Spirit. And we will see our faith working itself out through love in this community. That's my prayer. It's been my prayer for my own heart this week. It's been my prayer for the church's heart that we would just be so motivated by the gospel that we would say yes to anything he'd lay before us. A gospel-saturated church is a healthy church. It is. And You can't help but have that church grow because people see that, they hear that. So the church is one that proclaims the gospel. It's one that makes the gospel visible. It will grow, church, and God will bring them in. And a healthy church will know the gospel and make it visible. So the gospel of Jesus Christ brings us peace with God and gives him all the glory. The truth of the gospel matters, as we have just seen and as we have just heard. The gospel of Christ dying for our sins in our place and rising from the grave brings us peace with God, gives him glory. We must love 
and embrace this gospel, church. We must keep it upon our tongues, keep it in our hearts, ask God by the power of his Holy Spirit to pound it in there so that in the days we start to maybe drift or maybe, does he really love me? We start to be remembering these texts. They start to flood our mind and we're like, of course he loves me. Why? Because I'm lovable? No, because he's a great God. And I trust him and I follow him. See, God intends for his church, the bride of Christ, to bring him glory and to live according to the gospel announcement as we declare the gospel to a community, as we declare it. And so church, that's what we will do if God gives us breath. But this will not happen if you're unsure or unaware of the gospel or if you're ashamed of the gospel. It will not happen. It will not happen. You'll have all the right desires to want to do it, But until you understand it and believe it in your heart and your mind, it will never transform the way you live. And people around you may say, meh, Christians, I don't understand the difference. It's because it hasn't affected your heart. So I'm asking you, get on your face. (laughs) Join me. Get on your face. God, help me to see you more clearly so that you may receive more glory from my life. Oh, I want you to be glorified. I want to enjoy you more. Our focus must be the gospel or it will be something else. And that will cause us to drift from the mission that we've been called to do as a church. So this year and every year, let us be a people who are unashamed of the gospel. Why? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes.